in Unilever's example, they're one of the biggest manufacturers of mayonnaise. So they're a part of the egg waste problem, even though they're not a, a breaker or a chicken farmer and an egg producer, they're using a lot of it. And right. so what we now bring to them is they also have other areas of the portfolio where they're using calcium carbonate as an ingredient, be it for nutritional purposes, functional purposes, whatever it may be. So it's bringing a level of circularity to that type of so yep. those bigger sense. guys and those types of groups, I think it brings something really unique. So it's not just the earlier stage nimble, but it's also those bigger guys. Welcome to Products with Purpose. My name is Eli Harrell. I'm the host of the show, and I'm really glad you're here. I designed this show to support people across the planet who are working to solve meaningful problems, innovators, changemakers. A lot of times we interview founders of purpose-driven, impact-driven startups, maybe authors, coaches, anybody out there who is seeking to serve and to be the best possible ancestors that they can be for future generations. If that's you or you're thinking about heading in that direction, then I hope this is the place for you. We want to cross-pollinate ideas. We want to help people connect with each other. And you know, when you hear the cool things that are happening, you hear the amazing technology and innovation that's happening around the world. I hope that it also gives you a little bit extra reason for optimism, to believe that we might just turn this ship in the right direction after all, because I think we need some counterbalance to the bad news that surrounds us. If you hear something inspiring, if you find someone that you want to talk to more, you want to connect with, please don't hesitate to email me at Eli at EliHerald.com. And I also love feedback. So please reach out. Let me know if you have any ideas for how to make the show better, someone we should interview or something you think we need to improve. If you think that this show is worth sharing, I really would appreciate if you do take a moment and tell somebody about it, put it on social media, comment, really helps us out in growing the show. And thank you so much for being here. Let's jump into today's episode. In this episode, I am speaking with Mark Toman. He is the CEO and co-founder of EggTech. EggTech is a first-of-its-kind company centered around innovation that specializes in the production of high-quality calcium from an entirely renewable and sustainable source, namely eggshells. Mark developed a patented process to create sustainable forms of calcium, collagen, and hyaluronic acid from discarded food byproducts for human nutrition and packaging markets. Some of the things you'll hear us talk about in this episode include revolutionizing the poultry industry by upcycling eggshell waste, creating a sustainable and pure form of calcium from such, reducing landfill waste and environmental impact through upcycling, changing the landscape of the calcium nutritional marketplace, contributing to fixing the broken food system by reducing food waste. If these topics sound interesting to you, then you'll want to be sure to stick around and listen to this episode. And make sure you stay to the end to hear a book Mark recommends, as well as something forward-looking that he is optimistic about right now. And as always, we hope you love this show. We hope you love this episode. If it inspires you, if something is interesting here for you, please take a moment to share it with someone that you think might want to hear it. It really helps us to grow the show and reach more people who we are trying to inspire and uplift with a little bit of optimism for the day. Thanks again for being here, and let's jump into this conversation. Mark, welcome to Products with a Purpose. Thanks for being here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you for having me, Eli. And where are you joining us from, by the way? Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Okay, that's what I thought. All right, so pretty curious to hear a little bit about what this technology you've been working on is. So could you give us maybe just a, a quick intro to what is 
egg tech and what is, what is kind of the purpose and the problem you're trying to solve? Yeah, absolutely. I know we're going to dive into the deeper genesis of it all to come, but you know, the, the kind of high level summary here is that it is a patented technology and process that's capable of taking an existing byproducts from liquid egg processing operations and upcycling or manufacturing that material into a highly pure form of all natural calcium, as well as other complementary nutritional ingredients. All right. Nice. And yeah, we'll definitely go deeper into applications and implications, but before we do, like, can you tell us a little bit of your relevant backstory and kind of what led you to be the person to tackle this? Yeah, for sure. So as, as I mentioned, home bases is Toronto, Ontario. Before having founded the EggTech project, I was actually partnered with an American group and we were mining above sea level coral-based calcium from deposits that we held down in the Caribbean. And we were refining that material for specialty industrial applications, specialty plastics, building materials, et cetera. And about eight or nine years ago, I had identified the possibility of utilizing this vast waste stream or what I refer to as a side stream from the liquid egg processing operations, more specifically breaking houses, folks who are manufacturing high volumes of raw and cooked egg product, breaking millions of eggs a day and discarding a combination of shell and membrane in the interest of utilizing that to offset our need to mine for raw material. In the interest of manufacturing a pure enough form of the mineral that wouldn't just be suitable for the heavily commoditized industrial market that we were involved in with our mined material, but would actually meet and exceed what's required for the premium adjustable marketplaces. So more specifically, nutraceutical, dietary supplements, functional fortified foods, and then to a lesser extent, cosmetics and personal care and pharmaceuticals. So after making the recognition of that being a possibility, we, we of course put together the necessary scientific team, devote a considerable time and resources to that end, and we're successful in developing what ultimately became a four-phase process that's taking this combination of eggshell and membrane, which would otherwise in North America predominantly go to landfill, agitate and separate the majority of the organic membrane from inorganic shell, and then undergo do two different digestion phases. And those digestions are amplifying the purity of the calcium found in the shell fraction, eradicating any sort of residual microbiological contamination that you would find in there otherwise as well as the large proteins or the egg allergens are. So what we're left with is this ultra pure form of calcium that is pretty heavily disassociated from being a chicken eggshell derived form of the mineral and represents this entirely upcycled circular sustainable alternative to what would normally come from a mined limestone. So the material that's coming off of that process is it actually exceeds what's required for all USP and food grade applications and We've since obtained formal patent issuance on that technology and that process in a number of different jurisdictions, Canada, the US, Mexico, the EU, China, and India, of course, doing that for forward-looking strategic partnership and licensing type opportunities and ultimately grow the impact that it may have in the poultry and egg industry at large. And on the supply side, we've executed arrangements with some of the biggest liquid egg processors in specific regions from whom we hold the right of first refusal over the entirety of their discarded material. So ultimately, Eli, I mean, what, what we're shooting for with this is, is really twofold. It, to change the landscape of the poultry and egg industry, bring innovation to it, where we've largely been absent, unfortunately, as well as changing the landscape of the calcium nutritional marketplace. 
you know, so being able to do that is something that we're very effective about for sure. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the calcium supply market as far as the way I don't know much about it other than what you just told me is that we're, so where are the places that it's typically mined from? You mentioned above water, I guess, coral reefs and tell me where, so where where is it, where was it traditionally coming from and what are the, yeah, yeah, no, no, great question. So the above sea level coral based calcium that we were mining for is unique in its own right. The majority of the calcium that you or anybody else are ingesting for nutritional purposes or that that's being used as, as you know, a filler or ingredient in building materials, plastic, paper, rubber, glass, et cetera, any sort of a synthetic really has it as an ingredient is generally coming from a mined limestone. So the most readily available forms that you would see in any of these marketplaces, of which there are very, very many, is from a mined limestone. The above sea level coral-based calcium is, is unique in that it's not dredging underwater. And that's actually a big, I guess, misconception or, or point of clarity that I'd like to make because upsetting aquaculture and the balance in the sea is something that it goes against our very, everything that I stand for and foundational elements that I stand upon, that being sustainability, eco-friendly, circular, upcycling, et cetera. So... The above sea level coral-based deposits were actually, they're mountainous regions that are now covered in dense foliage that were once below water, but are now since far above sea level. And I imagine um, pretty rare. Yeah, it's, it's not as common as, as you know, a, a typical limestone, that's for sure. So the majority, to answer your question, the majority of the calcium in any of these markets that you would come across, be it in the nutraceutical tablets, capsules, dietary supplements, any sort of a fortified food, or in any of those synthetics, like extruded plastics, as an example, would be coming from just a traditional limestone mining operation. Okay, got it. And like, what would what would you say some of the major benefits, impact wise, would be to switching the industry toward your solution, which is upcycling the eggshells? Well, I think you can look at it through two lenses. There, you know, on the back end. Us taking what is otherwise, in some cases, many cases, a burdensome waste stream that's going to landfill. And just in its simplest terms, directly re reducing landfill waste for the purposes of producing a highly pure form of calcium and the positive environmental impact that that therefore has is something that is hugely impactful and something that is near and dear to my heart and is, is, is core to the project and everything that we're looking to accomplish. You know, so I think a big part of this whole thing is not just identifying inefficiencies, but the reduction of food loss and waste, and ideally utilizing that productively for human nutrition purposes. So in the environmental side of everything, it's the reduction of food loss and waste, reducing landfill waste, therefore reducing methane produced and GHGs into the atmosphere yep. and the widespread environmental impact that has. And then on the flip side, on the ingestible side and, and the material itself, so as a result of the comprehensive nature of the process that we've developed, the material that we're left with is highly pure, has a, an exceptional potency as far as calcium goes. It also has other unique characteristics. For example, an elevated, a seemingly elevated level of bioavailability. So more readily absorbed in the intestinal tract and therefore right. lending itself quite well for nutritional purposes for humans who are taking it for calcium deficiency or other reasons. So it's, it's kind of twofold. And how did you guys 
create the process that the digestion process that takes it from you know, raw eggshells to such a pure form that can be used in, in all these places. A lot of trial and error. <laughs> we, we worked through a number of different methods that we initially identified as being possible. And then after ruling out certain ones for a number of reasons, negative impact on the integrity and the composition of the material, negative impact on the color of the material that resulted from it, just not achieving the spec and the purity that we're ultimately aiming for, and then shifting gears and figuring out what sequentially makes the most sense, both from a, not just, you know, is it capable of manufacturing a pure enough form of the mineral for the market that we're targeting, but is it going to be patented? Is it going to be scalable? Is it going to be, and this is a big one, a cost-effective method to produce the material because we're going into these markets where even in those premium adjustable markets for which we built this whole thing and have modeled it, it, it's a commodity and it's, you know, it's, it's a very, it, it's a cheap ingredient, even in those markets, right? It's all relative. It depends on the lens through which you, you view it, but we needed it to be patentable, scalable, cost-effective. So right. after identifying a way we could achieve the material we required to access these markets, we then began to tailor the process to try and optimize it. So and how long did that take you to, to kind of learn that process to where it makes sense? The better part of a decade. Yeah. Dedication. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a long process for sure. I mean, the development of the process itself, I, I would probably have to say that it was several years in the making and then the the other components as far as you know drafting and filing patents establishing the necessary relationships on all sides to get all the pieces of the puzzle in place so that that's kind of what dragged it on to make it the better part of a decade but the development of the process itself i would say several years to to identify what is necessary what's feasible got it you alluded to some of the things that you're passionate about but what was it about this in particular that's given you such a, you know, what made you care enough to stick it out this long? I think it's a combination of factors. I mean, I, being involved in the mining side, you obviously see the direct negative impact environmentally. That's something that jumped out at me as potentially not being necessary. And if in fact not being necessary, let's figure out a way to do this better. Let's make a better material from something that's otherwise waste. You know, as I, as the whole project evolved and as, as I went along, I, my, my respect, appreciation, recognition of the importance of upcycling, which when I began this whole thing, wasn't even a real word. It's finally becoming common vernacular and that's wonderful. We're nowhere near where we should be, but it is starting to get traction and recognition and there's emphasis being placed on the importance of it. But my appreciation of the importance of it grew over time. And as I educated myself in this area, as well as others, just more broadly in, you know, the food waste space, I came to, to realize that not only is this an important problem that we need to tackle, but there's value here and there's a lot of resource going to waste where we're otherwise yeah. mining, dredging, or using other means to produce something that we could very well be deriving from something that's otherwise being discarded from an existing operation. Right. And just some numbers for a sense of scale. I, I imagine it's going to be more than we, than we think, but like 
what's the, I don't know, number of eggs or, or tonnage. How do we look at the amount of eggshell wasted in a certain region or, you know, just whatever numbers you have. I'm just kind of curious for some numbers, you know, some, some feel of scale. Yeah, for sure. So, so much is usually wasted. Yeah. Well, to put it in perspective, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of tons of this material being discharged from breaker facilities around the world on an annual basis. So it's very, very significant volume of material, which is for a couple of reasons, it's important. One, it just shows you, you know, yes, some of it is being used for menial purposes, local agricultural purposes, local farming applications, soil amendment, a number of different areas, animal nutrition, animal feed to a certain extent, but a significant portion is one that provides us one, I mean, it shows us how much waste there is and how much we can ultimately divert for productive purposes. And two, it reassures us that there's a lot of supply for us to implement the solution of this nature and then ultimately right. scale it to be more broadly adopted across the industry. And what have you seen so far as far as, I'd love to hear both achievements, milestones, traction, but also the challenges that you've faced to choo choose whichever, you want, whichever one you want to talk about first. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it, with a project of this nature and, and goals of this nature, there are a ton of challenges, especially when you're going into markets that are so heavily regulated, you know, going into the ingestible and nutritional nutraceutical dietary supplement type marketplaces or shooting to go into those marketplaces is difficult in that, you know, the level of liability, the fact that it's being ingested, it's coming from one of the big eight allergens for which there is no definitive threshold, whereby if you're below a certain part per million, you can declare it, you know, egg allergen free, like you can for gluten, where if it's below 20 parts per million, it's gluten free. There okay. is no defined threshold for egg allergen. I see. So that it takes a lot of education from our perspective, both to those who are considering integrating it into their formulation, as well as to their, the general public and the consumer base as it relates to the comprehensive nature of our process, the level of denaturing that's taking place and just scientifically it not being possible for egg allergen to still reside in the material that's ultimately resulting. So I think the biggest challenges are really around the regulatory component. So going into those marketplaces and being able to educate the, the powers that be and the individuals involved about the safety, the efficacy, and, and really in many cases, the superiority of the mineral that we're ultimately bringing can be challenging for sure. What, what have you learned in, in that space? I mean, either what have you learned or what have you achieved in making, you know, making headway toward people understanding or changing regulations, anything, anything like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it takes a lot of conversation. The majority of groups with who I speak begin to understand what we're trying to, to convey as far as the material being safe, regardless of its egg origin, because of the nature of the process. So they begin to understand that after a lot of conversation, a lot of education, from a regulatory perspective, you know, it's really just a matter of showing definitive and detailed analytics and science behind here's the nature of the material. This is what we're left with. You can't really argue with the analysis that's been performed. And, and if you compare it to the industry standard, you can very easily see the similarities and differences and, and why it's suitable for the marketplaces. So that's a work in progress, making it commonplace and just widely accepted. 
and more widely adopted is 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 a work in progress for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, what have been the milestones or achievements that you're most proud of so far? Good question. I mean, I think there have been a lot of little ones along the way, and it's it's almost like a constant, you know, two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. And it sounds cliche, but I'd have to say that, you know, from the very beginning, identifying that this is even possible from a material of this nature, knowing that we're we're working with a material that has just a certain presence of calcium. If we can potentially isolate it and then amplify the, the purity, we might be able to get into these these marketplaces. And then being able to to sort of pivot and shift gears and identify a method that is in fact capable of that, both large scale bench top and and then ultimately at scale. That's something we're we're really proud of. I think another big piece is along the way, I've come to appreciate and learn the importance of partnerships and strategic partnerships and involving the right individuals, groups, et cetera. And I think being able to establish and cultivate and execute relationships that kind of bring wide ranging stakeholders that oftentimes come from diverse backgrounds, oftentimes come with divergent interests, expectations, motivations. Being able to manage that number of people because of kind of the size of the groups that are in question and the breadth of the groups that are in question is something that we're, we're also very proud of. You know, that's still a work in progress as far as wanting it to be widely adopted and be applied across the industry. But it's, it's a focal point for us and, and definitely something we're proud of. Partnerships are fascinating to me. I, I was in business for quite a while without strategically implementing any or intentionally implementing really any partnerships, just, just, you know, had a business, delivered a really good service, had customers, knew how to repeat that process, but just had no concept of the value of partnerships for, for a very long time. Now I understand them much better, but I'm still, still trying to prioritize it more and get better at like putting enough energy into it. Are there any tips, you know, based on stories or experiences you've had that you would share with other people that might help them either prioritize partnerships more or go about creating them. I, you, you just alluded to a few principles, but do you have any other, any other tips you would share with people just on the topic of principles? I mean, on partnerships. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, being able to identify groups that would complement what it is that you're doing. I think like-mindedness and finding that synergy is, is paramount. So, I mean, if you can just be transparent with people that you're reaching out to, who you believe yeah. to be complementary. And, and being like-minded with that common goal is enormous. There's no doubt about it. I think another piece too is the transparency with which you kind of speak to these things. It's, it's one thing to be a little bit more guarded and strategic as far as what's disclosed and what, of course, when you're dealing in business, there's no doubt about it. But if it's a group or an individual that you've identified as being a viable partner, who's going to assist and further the end game. I think the transparency becomes more important because you need to have that level of trust of the individual or the group in question. And again, it kind of goes back to that synergy and that like-mindedness piece. If you truly believe that their motivations are, are aligned with yours, you can more easily divulge and be transparent and figure out where everybody fits to push the whole thing forward and forge ahead. Yeah, that's well said. I remember 
in the past, I, I had a baked in fear of competition. The more I've challenged those assumptions in business, the more I've realized like it's, it's, it's so rare that anybody's really going to steal your idea or like most of the time people are just busy doing what they're doing. And even if they hear something that sounds like a good idea, they're not going to take it from you. A lot of entrepreneurs just hold things so close. They keep their cards so close to their, to their best, you know? And yeah, I think, yeah, in, in, in innovating, just talking more openly, being more transparent, I think it really has a lot of value. It's interesting that you say that, Eli, because for a long time, I think I took that same approach. In fact, that was a mistake I made for a long time in the early going. And re more recently, relatively recently, I came to appreciate and recognize the importance of the opposite. So I, I think one of the mistakes that I made along the way, if, if I may, is that I was too guarded for too long. And to keeping the team lean and, and acutely aware of what it is that you're looking to achieve. And, you know, that's all well and good. And I think it's important to a point, but being open to involving others to see the whole thing through is really, you need yeah. to make that recognition sooner rather than later. I think I, that was one of my mistakes. I kept it too small and was too guarded to your point for a long time. And I, I, I came to realize that that's not, not the way to, to see something through, especially when it's something of this magnitude and, and yeah. innovative and trying to really change the landscape of an industry. Yeah. It's a tricky, tricky thing to navigate. Cause obviously, like you said, IP and, you know, trade secrets do matter. I just think that typically speaking, we live in a world where we're able to innovate faster if we, if we, if we're more open and more collaborative and typically nobody's going to take. I mean, unless you just have the most amazing magical secret, you know, that you should never let out of the box. Right. But typically speaking, I think we, we should err on the side of, of more sharing. Well, thank you for sharing those, those learnings and even what you would consider mistakes. Where, where are you seeing the most usefulness for, you've mentioned digestibles and, and the, I guess, nutraceutical. And, and I think you said something about cosmetics. What other uses are you seeing for the products that you guys are, the, the actual raw materials that you're, where do, where do you think the, the most adoption is going to be, if you had to guess? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I had this conversation just a couple of days ago with Infection Group, who's, who's keen to get involved to, to identify worthwhile innovations for, for this industry. So it depends on how you look at it. The way we've modeled it and the way we built this is... Are, we know matter of fact, are materials suitable for the premium top shelf markets where the value is maximized. Those being nutraceutical dietary supplement, pharmaceutical functional food, and cosmetics again, to a, to a lesser extent. And we've always looked at it as let's go into those premium higher value marketplaces and establish ourselves as being recognized as, as a material that, that warrants and is suitable for those areas. And then once we've been recognized as a trusted, reliable supplier in those marketplaces, we can then make sort of the volume plate for the commoditized industrial marketplaces, packaging, plastics, paper, rubber, glass, et cetera. Some people would argue the opposite. Some people would say, well, the volume is so great on the supply side and you have a cost-effective way to manufacture the, the material. Maybe you should try and access the less regulated marketplaces where the volumes are greater and then grow into the premium marketplaces. I, this is more of a strategic kind of push and pull here. My approach there is off the top, the material is, 
just the nature of the material is is so suitable and so favorable for those premium markets. Quality is so high. It is. And two, I think if we can establish ourselves there and then build out different brands of the product and different sort of skews, so to speak, that are suitable for the other marketplaces and then really maximize what this upcycling valorization solutions bringing from a volume perspective, then that's when we go into kind of the higher volume commoditized marketplaces. I, to answer your question without being so long-winded, I'm seeing application across the board. Calcium carbonate is used across these marketplaces very, very widely. Theoretically, our material could be used in any of them. I think we just have always focused on those top end premium marketplaces. Although one that is kind of a middle ground and probably find it interesting is the rise in the focus on sustainable packaging, compostable packaging, biodegradable packaging, right? So that type of nary intrigues because it, it carries so much of the foundational elements as to why we did this in the first place from an environmental perspective. Right. And we also contribute so heavily to their circularity store as an ingredient. Yeah. So it's not quite, you know, your traditional plastic wrap or plastic packaging, but it's kind of a middle ground between the two. So that's an industrial, so to speak, application that really intrigues me. And there's some really cool stuff happening in that area as well. Specifically, a group is based in Australia. I'm sure you've heard of them, but we can talk about those offline. Sounds good. Are there any innovations in packaging, let's say biodegradable packaging, that might be you know, partners that, that might actually innovate their product because of the availability of something like this, do you think? Does that make any sense what I'm asking? That maybe they would steer the product innovation in a direction because of the availability of something so renewable or not really renewable, but, you know, upcycled and saving waste. Right. That's a good question. I mean, my take on that is it really depends on the size and the focus of the grid in question. And the reason I say size is because I find, and this applies to the target end use groups as well that we've engaged with. And the groups that really could make this, they could be difference makers as far as the, the broader adoption, if they really took a stance and made clear that this is something that's worthwhile. Bigger groups, it's usually, we love it. We love the idea of it. We're in support of it, but it's a dollars and cents question. Is it going to, is it directly interchangeable from a, you know, is it going to cost us more to, to integrate? And, and build into our formulation. The smaller, earlier stage, more nimble groups were focused in these areas. They recognize the differentiation. They recognize the importance of it. And they're not as, everything is not dictated by price. Totally bottom line. Whereas the bigger yeah. guys, yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. If there's anybody out there listening that would, you know, maybe have the right, like who needs to know about this that doesn't know about it so far or who you're trying to connect with? I mean, to be honest, anybody that the, the food tech, ag tech, upcycling sandbox is a very small one globally. Anybody in that realm who's interested in aligning with us because of the shared interest as far as the reduction of food loss and waste, productively using it for human nutritional purposes. Um, but also those who are involved in both the poultry and egg side of things and the end use side of things. Because we represent a vertical for a lot of these groups, like, for example, the big guys, like the Unilever's of the world, like the Procter & Gamble's of the world, Pfizer's of the world. These are, they have portfolios whereby, you know, in Unilever's example, 
they're one of the biggest manufacturers of mayonnaise. So they're a part of the egg waste problem, even though they're not a, a breaker or, or, you know, a chicken farmer and an egg producer, they're using a lot of it. And so what we now bring to them is they also have other areas of the portfolio where they're using calcium carbon as an ingredient, be it for nutritional purposes, functional purposes, whatever it may be. So it's bringing a level of circularity to that type. So yeah, those bigger sense. guys and those types of groups, I think it brings something really unique. So it's not just the earlier stage in ball, but it's also those bigger guys. Well, it'll be exciting to see where you go with this. Had you been an entrepreneur before you started this? So yes, before, I mean, the mining side of things, it was kind of born out of an involvement on the business development end for a milling and mining company and then establishing my own relationships and then going out on my own to forge this partnership with the American group to mine the coral-based calcium. And it was, that's kind of the genesis and evolution there. So always been really entrepreneurial minded and more recently kind of been asked by some really forward thinking, intelligent folks that I've established relationships with to assist them in the areas of strategy and partnerships and innovation and development. Really enjoyed that after kind of coming out of the necessarily narrow tunnel that was egg tech for so long and working with some other like-minded folks on their projects where my kind of strengths and, and abilities apply has been really, really rewarding and, and satisfying. Nice. What do you see on the horizon for egg tech over the next handful of years? We have some really interesting dialogue going right now where we're a part of trying to propose innovation to the industry. So hopefully that assists in kind of accelerating the rate of adoption, at least in North America. We have active dialogue with a number of groups in the EU as well. The EU is a little bit further along as it relates to innovation. And we'll see how quickly those talks evolve. But I think our solution, our technology is really attractive for them for a number of reasons. So I guess the short answer is hopefully we can accelerate rate of adoption in North America which is kind of where we plan to launch and commercialize out this whole thing from the outset. But, you know, in conjunction with that, implementing it in the, in the EU, where they really appreciate this type of a solution would, would be fantastic. Is it a technology that's reasonably easy to duplicate in, in other locations? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's kind of how we built it is being able to freight logically and appropriately sized from an engineering capacity perspective, the technology. We want to be within a certain radius of where we're driving supply based on the nature of the material. Right. And, and yeah, the short answer to your question is yes, absolutely. Awesome. Do you see the potential? Because I, I know that like I live in Southeast Asia and they use a heck of a lot of eggs here, but I also know that the, for example, nutraceutical regulations are a little bit less stringent than in the U.S. And just kind of curious if there's any logic to some markets where it's a little bit less regulated to get these materials, you know, into the industries that, that they, they're obviously at that quality, but it's such a, so many hoops to jump through in, in the U.S. and Canada, I would imagine for, for those markets, just, just curious. And it's just crazy speculation, but. No, not crazy at all. I mean, that's, that's a fair point. And, and the short answer there is, yeah, absolutely. We, we love to be in those marketplaces. It's just challenging managing the time different as you and I have just for this one conversation, as well as being able to get over there and establish those partnerships because it, you know, you got to be sitting face to face with your partners, both on the supply side and the end use side. 
having the right conduit to go into those marketplaces, I think is, is of utmost importance to us there, but are we interested in doing so? Absolutely. And, and just as a bit of an aside there, the FDA and other regulatory bodies have had a real challenge regulating the nutraceutical space. And there are a lot of bad actors in the space as a result. Yeah, I know. And it's unfortunate, yeah. right? So not, I'm not suggesting that we would ever be that and, and nor is it what you're proposing here, but it's, it's a marketplace that's growing so substantially year over year and the regulatory bodies are just, it's, it's a challenge for them to really oversee it properly and comprehensively. But we, we absolutely would love to be in those places. Yeah. I mean, when you're, when you're coming with a, with a raw material, that's already proven to be as high quality as yours is sadly because of those bad actors, right? The, the regulatory hoops that you have to jump through are, are there because people are, are constantly <laughs> trying to shortcut things and, and, and dupe us. Right. So yeah, I totally understand it, but yeah, I've, yeah. I've had a little bit, little bit of experience with that industry and I definitely know how, how, uh, a lot of the times the things you think you're buying don't, don't have what, what you think they're, you know, the contents aren't what they are supposed to be. So. Right. Not right. Good. Right. And then I came here and I saw people making claims about natural medicine or whatever, even if even things that did come from the U S and they're telling you make, they're showing you these pictures, like somebody's arm grew back. It's totally okay here. You can get away with anything. It's in different world. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. So, but these break breakers are the, the facilities that are really doing that. That's where the majority of the waste is, is coming from. So I'll keep my eyes peeled to see if I can come across any of those entities on this side of the world, let you know. That would be fantastic. I appreciate that. Cool. Are there any parts of the, the story, you know, your backstory and, and this journey that we, that we haven't touched on that, that we should? No, not really. I mean, it's, it's an exciting time. It's, it's been a, a long process to get to where we are, no doubt, but I think ultimately worthwhile when you're, you're trying to kind of make the impact that we are, you know, change, as I said, the landscape of the poultry and egg industry, but also be a part of fixing a fundamentally broken food system, at least how I see it with regards to the level of waste. So no, I, I just, I appreciate the conversation. I've, I've really enjoyed it. In fact. And, and no, I don't think, I don't think that we've missed very much. I, I'm sort of watching a little bit more lately, the, you know, the innovation in the food industries and some of the products that are being created now that are, you know, for example, animal less meat or bee less honey. I'm just kind of curious if there will be any new products or new kind of verticals that will be developed because of innovation where these raw materials will all of a sudden be more, be, you know, interesting in, in spaces that you don't even see yet. So anyway, I'm just kind of, there's just some really fascinating things happening out there and landscapes are going to change, I think. So it's, it's yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that, that what's happening in the food tech, just to use a Vegas of broad strokes term based right now is incredible. And, and I love, I mean, globally speaking, whether it's over in Singapore or in Israel or here in North America, the different stuff that's going on is incredible. I think we're going in the right direction and not just in the all protein space, but just in general, I think, you know, there, there's so much good happening and a lot more to your previous point, a couple of minutes ago, the collaboration that's taking place in order to facilitate yeah. it is really encouraging. Agree. Well, on that note, I, one of the questions I usually ask toward the end of the show is what's something that you are 
optimistic about? Like what's something that you see going on in the world that, that makes you feel pretty good about the direction we're headed? Very apropos based on what we just said. Exactly that. I think just bounce off that if you want. That's fine. No, totally. So I think for me personally, it's, it's really around the food loss and waste side of things. The, The number of activities, the growth in recognition of the importance of upcycling, reduction of food loss and waste. There's some really cool stuff happening at scale where people are taking and diverting what would otherwise be this waste stream and then using it for a number of different productive purposes. Not necessarily like we are where you're transforming it into an ingredient for human nutrition, but some people are transforming it into animal feed and then using said animals to supply into the human nutrition marketplace as a protein and being able to reduce GHGs as a result. So I think it's for me, it would be, if I, if I had to kind of narrow it down, it would be the, the slow growth and recognition and importance of upcycling in general, but really all of the activities that are happening, like we said, in the food tech space and, and you know, general reduction of food loss and waste and what we're, we're capable of doing with that. I think we're definitely going in the right direction there. Yep, I agree. I just interviewed somebody two days ago. I think his episode will be just a few weeks before yours. And he's the, his name is Peyton, I think. I forgot his last name right now, but the company's called Allozymes. And they're out of Singapore. And they are basically, they've created a a way to identify enzymes that in nature and be able to duplicate them and engineer them. One of the examples he gave me was that for the cosmetics industry, for anti-aging products, just to get three kilograms of something that they extract from the skin of tomatoes, they need like the size of Singapore worth of tomatoes just for three kilograms and it's, and they can just manufacture it now by duplicating this enzyme because they identified what it does. And then they basically, they can just, they know how to make them now. And yeah, it's just some, some really fascinating stuff happening. And actually that might be, might be a company that you want to be aware of just what they're doing. Probably for sure. Connected enough. Might be curious for you. Oh, absolutely. I'll certainly look into it. That's incredible. Yeah, really cool stuff. I'm not not doing a good job. I think he listened to the episode because <laughs> he does obviously a way better job of explaining it than me, but really amazing stuff. And moving away from catalysts that are being used from petrochemical to create like to create synthetic chemicals and, and actually just moving it to the to a, a biological way of doing things. So pretty cool stuff. Anyway. All right. La- last question for today. What would be a book you could recommend if you, if there, a book that's been meaningful to you that you could recommend to the audience? You got to your question. I, I have to just default to, to 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. I don't know if you've ever read it. I have. Okay. So it, it's funny because for a couple of reasons, and this is sort of apropos what we touched on earlier in our conversation. I, I'm really intrigued by human psychology and, you know, managing people and personalities and, and that's sort of the partnerships piece, but that book, I think it provides such a strong baseline. Some can interpret it as dark at, at times for sure, with regards yes, to the Machiavellian kind of approaches and that kind of thing. But I think it's important to have in your headspace as it relates to managing people, because, you know, people are oftentimes driven. I really one of two things to either greed or fear, but managing people based on what Robert Greene touches on there and, and taking it with a grain of salt, as far as, you know, some of them are just their offside as far as I'm concerned, but there are others that apply so well and more broadly than just professionally 
and in business, but just relationships that you have throughout your life. I think it's, it's really, it's a worthwhile read. I think you got to certainly be able to, to take a step back and evaluate what is being read and whether it's applicable, how it's applicable, but yeah. I think it's an important perspective. Yeah. I remember reading a couple of his books. I'm not sure what, which ones I totally finished because there is this Machiavellian kind of lens and definitely I think I needed to filter some of the things I was to be able to apply it in the way in my worldview, I had to filter totally. a bit, but yeah, but he's, he's very interesting. Heard him interviewed on some podcasts and definitely I like to listen to people who I think it's important to listen to people who see things a little bit differently or maybe a lot differently than we do just to let that sit and, and see how it adjusts my own lens. So yeah, thank you. Well, Mark, thanks so much for being here today and appreciate what you're doing and I wish you the best and let me know if there's anything I can ever do to support and enjoy the conversation. I really appreciate it, Eli. It was a pleasure. And thanks for having me. I'll definitely look forward to staying in touch. Same here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Products with Purpose. It is so meaningful to me that you have taken a moment to trust me with your ears and your time. It's a very personal thing. And I hope that the value brought to you in this conversation has been significant. I would really appreciate your feedback. You would reach out at any time and let me know what you think about the show, how you think we might be able to improve it, what value it's bringing to you, presuming that you're here because it's valuable to you. And remember the idea of this show is to cross-pollinate ideas, to connect people together who are working on things where they could either collaborate and make each other better or learn from each other. So please don't hesitate to reach out to me if there's someone you'd like to connect with. And also, if you think you know someone who would benefit from hearing this episode, please do take a moment and share it with them. You never know what that might lead to. And you never know who out there that you know just needs something a little bit uplifting and inspiring and a reason for optimism. So again, thank you for being here and until next week.